Welcome to the Global Missions Inc. podcast. Today's episode features David Luff. Be an example. As summer begins to come to an end, we begin to think about students preparing to return to school. The younger students to primary and secondary schools, and the older students to colleges and universities. Most children and young people are sad to see the summer with its fun activities come to an end. But at the same time, there's also excitement as they think about seeing all their friends again and enjoying the many activities associated with being in school. For the Christian student, the academic environment presents a fertile missionary field. This is particularly true in the secular school environment, but it also exists in Christian schools. Teenagers and college students are at the point in their maturing process that they begin to have many questions about their faith and life in general. For the student who is well grounded in their faith, they're in a position to have a profound impact on their fellow students. I'm reminded of the following scripture from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 12 through 16, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity, till I come give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Timothy, to whom the Apostle Paul wrote the letters, 1st and 2nd Timothy, was intimately involved with Paul's ministry, although he was considerably younger than the Apostle. He was with him in Corinth, Macedonia, Ephesus, and Jerusalem. In 2 Timothy, Paul calls to remembrance the genuine faith that is in Timothy, which had been nurtured by his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. That's 2 Timothy 1 and 5. Most young people in the church also have a faith in them that was nurtured by parents, grandparents, and other godly relatives. So Paul's admonition is for them too, You may be young, but you will be in an environment where your words and lifestyle can be a wonderful testimony for Christ. He says, be an example to the believers in word, conduct, love, spirit, faith, and purity. However, you can also be an example to unbelievers as well. Let's take such a characteristic of being an example and consider them in more detail as described in God's Word. First, 
be an example in word. The Bible has many, many scriptures that teach us about the importance of our speech. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Ephesians 4 and 29. We are living in a time in which conversations between people are too often laced with critical and hurtful words which serve to tear down and discourage rather than encourage and build up. This seems to be especially prevalent on social media. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. That's from Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. And from Proverbs 16 and 24, Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. How the world needs the health and sweetness that comes from hearing pleasant words. It is easy when in a group of other young people for the conversation to drift towards the unwholesome. Paul gives us guidance about that in Ephesians 5, 3 through 4. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. As a Christian young person, you can have a positive influence by gently redirecting the conversation to more edifying topics. This can be done without being preachy or condemning. Next, the apostle tells his, command, his companion Timothy to be an example in conduct. Your Christian conduct has great impact on how the unbelieving world views Christ. Hypocrisy among believers is often given as the main reason unbelievers seek answers somewhere other than in the Christian faith. People are watching and testing us all the time to see if our conduct is consistent with what we say we believe. You, then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. That's from Romans chapter 2, verses 21 through 24, and that's from the New International Version. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, also from the New International Version. <clears throat> it is good 
to frequently do an honest self-assessment with the help of the Holy Spirit to see if our conduct is consistent with what we say we believe. And from 1 Peter 2 and 12, Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, and Galatians 5 through 25, we have more examples of Scripture that speaks to our conduct. And then finally, I will read from Philippians chapter 1, verses 27a. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Another virtue that we should exemplify is faith. One of the main ways we can be an example of faith is by our faithfulness. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. For in the realm of the dead, where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, or wisdom. Chapter 9, verse 10. The characteristics of faithfulness change somewhat depending on the phase of life we are in. For the student, it means being on time for classes, keeping up with daily assignments, and studying diligently for exams. Often it means foregoing fun with friends because you need to study. If you're not a student, you likely have a job, and it requires the same type of discipline to demonstrate faithfulness. No matter what phase of life we are in, Faith in God is absolutely necessary to grow towards spiritual maturity. I will say more about that when we discuss being an example in spirit and love. The next thing we are to be an example of is purity. Purity of body, mind, and spirit. The teenage and young adult years can be particularly challenging the cultural mores of our current society offer nothing constructive or helpful in the pursuit of purity and holiness. Problems of maintaining purity are not just a problem for the young. The pursuit of holiness is a challenge for all Christians of all ages. There is a great tendency for Christians to establish standards of purity using relativity rather than absolutes. Our culture's standards of purity have devolved so much that they have all but disappeared completely. We cannot truthfully call ourselves Christians unless we are pursuing holiness in our lives. Hebrews 12 and 14 says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And from 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, but as, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. We will likely not reach God's perfect standards of purity in this lifetime, but we should be in constant pursuit of it. 1 Timothy 5 and 22 says, Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins, 
keep yourself pure. I once knew a young college student who went to a very small college in a somewhat remote location. When I asked him where it was, he said, 75 miles from any known sin. Maybe the major catalyst for sin was 75 miles away, but wherever human beings are, sin will be present. However, to be the examples God has called us to be, we must not participate in the sinful behavior of others. As a Christian, people will test you in this area. Sometimes we are tempted to think that we will lose the friendship of others if we decline participation in behavior that we know to be displeasing to God. What we may not realize is that people really want to see if what we have is really real. Remember, we are all missionaries. From Philippians 4, verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Next, I want to share a bit about the last two virtues from 1 Timothy 4 and 12 that we should exemplify in our lives, and that is love and spirit. 1 John 5 and 4 says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Every sincere Christian wants to grow in their faith. They want to have victory over the sins of the flesh. Perhaps the hardest thing for us to learn is that any apparent victory that comes by self-effort is a counterfeit victory. It is not the real thing, and time and circumstances will prove it. John chapter 6, verse 63 says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. The victory that overcomes the world comes through our faith in the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Philippians 2 and 13 says, For it is God who works in you to will and to do for his good pleasure. Of course, we can and must cooperate with the Holy Spirit as he does his transforming work, but it is his work, not ours. Should we make every effort to avoid temptation? Of course we should, but it is only the true change of our heart that comes by allowing the eternal, uncreated life of God to course through our spiritual veins that will cause us to love what he loves and hate what he hates. Paul instructs Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.13 to, among other things, give himself to reading and doctrine. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That comes from Romans 10, verse 17. The Holy Spirit can take the word from our minds 
and make it come to life in our spirits. But we must put it into our minds for him to work with. If we want to become life-giving, anointed examples to others in word, conduct, spirit, love, faith, and purity, and if we are to strive for something, let us strive for the life of Christ to be manifested in us more and more fully. It is only the life in the vine that will cause the real fruit to be born through us. The ultimate fruit is love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And from Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Finally, I want to draw uh, the attention of our young people to the importance of Paul's admonition given in passages in both 1st and 2nd Timothy. <clears throat> First of all, from 1st Timothy chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine, continuing them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. And from 2 Timothy 1 and 6. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Every Christian needs to know where God has placed them in the body of Christ. Each one needs to know the ministry God has ordained for him or her and the spiritual gifts that are given to support that ministry. God revealed to us in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in 1948 that that, that would be accomplished by prophecy and the laying on of the hands of the presbytery or the body of elders. This was confirmed in the above two scriptures as well as in Romans 1, 11. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. It is a great desire of the ministries that everyone have this experience. However, it is important that it is your great desire also. There is another thing that is important for all of us to remember when God gives a gift, he expects for us to put it to use for the edification of the body of Christ, and he will hold us accountable for doing so. Just uh, read Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30, which is about the parable of the talents. One of the major tenets of this move of the Spirit is body ministry, from whom the whole body 
joined and knit together by that which every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. That's from Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16. Therefore, to prepare yourself for God to speak to you about your gifts and ministry, it is important that you find a fellowship where there is both the opportunity to exercise your gift and fulfill your particular ministry and where there is the expectation that you will do so. Whether you are returning to school or a place of employment, remember that because you are a Christian, people are always watching you to see if the testimony of your words are consistent with what they see or hear in your speech, conduct, spirit, love, faith, and purity. As ambassadors for Christ on the job or on the campus, you can contribute much to the building of the kingdom of God right where you are. If you would like more information about the moving of God's Spirit or resources for your spiritual life, please visit our website at www.globalmissionsinc.org.